Welcome to an episode of No Politics, Just Music. The aim of this show is to talk about albums, bands, and music more generally. I hope you enjoy expletives and foul language. How's it going? Today we're going to talk about two big albums, Stadium Arcadium from the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Metallica's St. Anger. I'm lucky enough to be joined by my friend Ali, who's in Melbourne. How's it going, Ali? G'day James, I'm good thanks mate, how are you? Yeah, can't complain, um, it's a cold Scottish morning, but apart from that, yeah good. Let's talk about these two these two albums. Yeah man, me too, me too. Both these albums have been uh, pretty big in my life, Stadium Arcadian has uh, got me through some tough times and St Anger was my introduction to both Metallica and metal, so I'm very very keen to chat through both of them with you. St Anger, it's the same for me, like first Metallica album uh, I got given. And yeah, introduction to metal, Stadium Arcadium, I think was the first album I bought for myself. Um, I'm, I'm glad you chose that album because it's it's a brilliant one, um, and I'm, I, I do want to talk about that. So yeah, let, let's start with that. Uh, I, I'm just interested why why you chose that album of all albums to send because uh, you could have chosen any yeah. album in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it was probably my one of my first introductions to the Chili Peppers when I was growing up. They were very, very popular, having recorded, um, having released both Californication and By The Way when I was kind of late primary school, early high school. I kind of caught on to that hype when I was, when Stadium Arcadium was coming out. So I was, I was um, looking forward to the album coming out. I remember, I think it was one of the first albums that I bought personally as well, like you were saying. I remember buying it, putting it on in the car and listening to the first couple of songs and i distinctly remember my reaction was what is this crap it's nothing like what i'm used to it's nothing like by the way or can't stop or any of the other hits that i've heard and i honestly didn't didn't continue i think i got to the third track charlie on the first cd and i just i told my dad can i return this <laughs> i don't like it like what's going on this is not what i'm used to it was just so different and um I didn't touch it for like another couple of years, maybe maybe longer, maybe like three or four years. And then I, with me and the Chili Peppers, we've had, you know, a love-hate relationship. I've kind of come and, and gone from them. I got back into them probably five, six years ago. And at that time, I gave Stadium Arcadia a really good listen. And I thought it was incredible. Still wasn't like one of my favorite albums. It was kind of like top 20. It wasn't very hardcore and then um i listened to it in waves like i said and then i actually went through a pretty um a sad period in my life where i ended a relationship uh with a girlfriend 18 months 24 months ago and quite a low point and then i rediscovered the album that during that period subsequent to the breakup and it just it just clicked in my mind it was such sad music in parts. As you know, it's quite a diverse album and there's really upbeat songs and there's funky songs and some almost metal-esque songs in there as well. But I actually found a third of the songs to be quite sad, very emotional, unlike many other songs that they've recorded. And I, I connected with those songs incredibly tightly during that period of my life. And ever since then, whenever I've felt a bit under the weather, um, Lockdown certainly helped with that. <laughs> I put on uh, Sandy Marcadian and bring up some of those slower, sadder songs, and I really find that it helps me um, get my emotions out. 
and yeah, I, I found myself being able to relate to those songs a lot more since that period. Yeah, because for me, I bought this album because I heard Danny California and yeah. on the radio, and I just I loved that. I, I just loved the song. It was like easy to sing along to because I must have been mm. 15 when it came out or something like that. It was just, it's, it's a really upbeat song. It's definitely one of the more yeah. upbeat ones on the album. And then I bought the album, it must have been that year, 2006 that it came out. And I, I think I only ever really listened to the first CD, not the first yeah. disc. Because if I look back, I it's the slow songs for me that I like, particularly on that first one, like Slow Cheater yeah. and Torture Me, Strip My Mind oh, as well. They're great tracks, yeah. And I guess they're not like very... They sound very Red Hot Chili Pepper songs, but they're not like the traditional ones. Um, like I'm more used to Californication and Blood Sugar Sex Magic, and they're quite different from that. They still sound very, you know, like you can tell John Frusciante's playing guitar and stuff like that. But then it took me a long time to get into the, the second disc, and I think that's maybe an issue with double albums in general. You know, like yeah. I've had an hour of Red Hot Chili Peppers, like now I want something else. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but which is a shame because one of my favourite songs on the album is "Death of Martian" right at the end. Ah, that's a that's a great song. Do you know the story behind that one? No, I don't. So Flea, the bass player, during the sessions where they were recording that album, his dog uh, passed away. They had to put it down, and I believe don't think the dog's name was Martian. <laughs> I think it was something else. But uh, the lyrics are about that dog so if you look back through the phrasing and the lyrics it's about um how this dog played with lee's children and how he bonded with it throughout his life and how it had to be put down and how sad it was and when i'm like you i, I listened to that song many many times not knowing the story but then once i read about that story went back to it and analyzed it with that it just meant so much more it, it actually it's such a, a sadder song knowing the story behind it so yeah go back and, and i encourage anyone listening as well read through the lyrics with that um, lens and i think it'll unlock a whole new dimension to that track because the last like the speech part of it it's quite difficult to understand what's going on it sounds that's right very very strange um, yeah and because for me like this song i only really became a well you know i knew of all the songs in the album by yeah, 2015, I was pretty familiar with everything in there. But Death of a Martian only really, I only really started listening to that one like by itself. I must have been May 2018, and so for me, like I, if you, well, you said you linked the album to a breakup. I linked that song to a breakup, um, and that was so it was a weird one. It wasn't it like a full-on relationship, but you know, I got quite close to the school, and then it was right before uh, I'd gone overseas to. I was on my way to do the master, so I was in India listening to this song, and was which is a weird place to be anyway. And like <laughs> driving through the bus uh, on the mountain in the mountain, listening to "Death of a Martian." For me, like what I like about Anthony Kiedis' lyrics is, I think a lot of the songs you can put whatever you want into them, yeah. um, and there's a lot of like being able to project a feeling or an emotion from those songs. And for me, yeah, "Death yeah. of a Martian" I can definitely see how it's about the death of a dog, but I, for me, it was more about the death of a relationship. Oh, interesting. Um, so it'd be interesting to go back and give that another another go. Yeah, that's the beauty about not, like I just described, about not analysing the meaning behind songs is you can project your own or apply your own meaning to it. 
that's the, a very similar thing with um, Metallica songs as well. I've listened to a lot of interviews with the lyricist James Hetfield and interviewer, interviewers often ask him, what's the meaning behind this song? And he, he doesn't like to, to say because he says it's not up to me to tell you what the meaning is. I express what comes to my mind, but I, I leave the interpretation of it up to the listener. That's a great point, but I do want to put the Metallica stuff on hold for a little bit. Um, <laughs> but um, the Red Hot Chili Peppers have taken a kind of different attitude, I think. Like they have, particularly Anthony Kiedis, I guess maybe because he's only a singer as well. He's, if you've read his biography, um, yes, yes, he explains it like he, particularly in high school, when his uh, attempt at university, he loved like writing and stuff like that. So yeah. I think like. For him, his songs really are about telling a story, and of course, going through you know writing down your biography. Of course, you're going to have to explain some of the songs, right? Yeah. But because the one like Danny California, they were saying, or Anthony Keys was saying that that's the same guy, uh, same girl from By the Way. Yeah, and Californication, I think. Oh, and Californication. I didn't know that one. So there's a there's a great um, YouTube series, and it's also on. Spotify, I think, where the band will sit down and they go through each song track by track and they describe both the recording process and Anthony will sometimes jump in with a few um, with uh, lyrical influences or meanings. And I'm pretty sure um, it's the same character that was in the song Californication. And then, by the way, the trilogy kind of ended with Danny California. I could be wrong. It was a third. I'm not sure which track it was, but yeah. You're thinking about it, I can see Californication, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so, if I think about the Red Hot Chili Peppers, for me, I still think Blood Sugar Sex Magic is my favourite album. Yeah. Um, and I, it's the first recording we did. Um, that person, Hugo, he suggested Blood Sugar Sex Magic, so we talked about that. Oh, cool. And One Hot Minute was a bit of a, there's a few good songs on it, but I'm not sold on the album. Californication, by the way, great album to love them, and Stadium Arcadium. But apart from that, like, because the Red Hot Chili Peppers catalogue is big. Like, the the last two albums, I don't know if you're the same, but for me, like, they've, they haven't really hit or struck a chord with me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I unfortunately got into them, hardcore got into them, just as John Prashanti left, <laughs> which was in 2007, 2008. Like you described, the, the two albums that came after his departure, I never grew in love with them. They were very, it was a huge gaping hole in the music, in the songwriting. Um, the guitar just wasn't front and center anymore. The, the songs weren't built around a riff. It was often built around um, Flea, the, the bassist. He stepped up and he, he wrote melodies or played melodies on the bass, and the guitarist, Josh Klinghoffer, he would kind of almost like a uh, the same sort of um, influence that a keyboardist has would play kind of notes in the background to sort of add add uh, mystique or add soundscapes to the song rather than being front and centre like John Prashante would be. Again, like you, how you describe One Hot Minute, I think there's some, some good tracks in there. But um, I think the most telling part about those two albums, I heard from Josh Klinghoffer himself when he, when he got the sack probably six, 12 months ago now. He gave a couple of interviews where he talked about those two albums and the interviewer asked him, how do you feel about those two albums? Are you proud of those songs? And he basically said no. 
<laughs> he's not part of those albums at all because he he wanted the um, tracks to go a certain direction and the band wanted a different direction. I could be paraphrasing or misinterpreting him, but from my recollection, it wasn't the direction he wanted to go in. Um, the band, I guess, having to protect the brand that is the Chili Peppers went in a certain way to remain familiar and whatever else to their fan base. So um, at the end of the day, he said the proudest, the best work that I wrote for the Chili Peppers ended up on B-sides for those two albums. So yeah, I, I 100% agree. Number one, I didn't think they were particularly inspired quality albums like the ones that came before it. And number two, it wasn't what Josh Klinghoff and the guitarist imagined for the albums. It must be tough as an artist to have to compromise on such a massive scale. Yeah. I think it, it, it's it's tough. So to, to extend on your point, conversely, John Prashante, he talks about a very similar process because, as you know, he's a solo musician as well as a guitarist in Chili Peppers. The two are quite different in his mind. And I listened to an interview with him recently where someone asked him, what's it like when you record a solo album versus a Chili Peppers album? And he said, when I'm a solo uh, one doing a solo album, it's just me. I don't have to answer anyone. Whatever I want to write, I write. But when I'm in the Chili Peppers, obviously there's three other people I have to consider. There's a producer I have to consider. But then he concluded, that's not always a bad thing because I have to think about my guitar parts. I have to think, how does Flea's bass play into this? How is Chad's drum beat going to come into this? Knowing all the intricacies of those people, he actually concluded that it created a better quality product, not necessarily worse, like how Josh Klinghoff had probably perceived it. Yeah, I, I wonder if it's like, so the Red Hot Chili Peppers are an example of a band, for me, that's only ever worked with a specific lineup. You know, like, because, uh, oh, what's the album before Blood Sugar Six Magic? Uh, Mother's Milk. Yeah, because that's got all four of them on it as well, like Chad Smith, John Frusciante, Anthony Kiedis and Flea, right? And that one, like, I know it's not a massive commercial hit, and I probably wouldn't rate it as high as the other albums, but it's, you can see everything coming together. I think, and then like, because if you go back before that, when they have, oh, I don't know how to say the guy's name, Hillel, Hillel Slovak, the original yeah. guitarist, was it Jack Irons as well, who was on drums, yeah. and like, it's just a different band. <laughs> agreed, agreed, it was, it was almost like a, a, almost like a rap band, and that's how I started out in LA, it was um, almost like a rap rock, and then I think Mother's Milk saw a bit more melody coming into it, but ultimately, Blood Sugar is when it all shifted and had slow songs like Under the Bridge being written where the thing that blows my mind about Blood Sugar, I don't want to get too much into it because we've already discussed it, but John Prashante was only 18 when he wrote that album. It just blows my mind. The songs that he wrote at such a young age, what was I doing when I was 18? <laughs> yeah, he's, um, he's a freak. Like He's a rare breed. He talks about being an eight-year-old having you know i think he picked up guitar when he was five or six and being eight or nine years old he would walk into record stores in la and ask to purchase um oh who's that who's that really famous guitarist that, Jimi hendrix Jimi hendrix of course yeah <laughs> like a modern day hendrix in my eyes but he would when he was young would go to record stores to buy hendrix records right. and he would go into the store with his guitar and be able to play every single track of hendrix 
<laughs> he would blow the mind of the record store owners because he's like nine-year-old kid <laughs> would just come and like smash out all those Hendrix tracks. He's just a freak musician. He's unbelievably talented. Yeah. And and he's but he's both talented and he has the conscientiousness, work ethic. I'm confident that he spends most of his waking hours playing music in one form or another. Yeah, or, or consuming it, I imagine. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I'm just happy that I can play a few chords on guitar, but if I, if I was anywhere <laughs> near that level, especially at 18, you know, like under the bridge is a difficult yeah. song to play. Yeah, and where I... So I, I got into the, the album Stadium Arcadium quite intensely during that period where I had that breakup and linked it to that. But then I started getting into the deep cuts of them touring around that album mm-hmm. i don't know if you ever listen to much of their live stuff but um i'm a big i'm a very very big live music fan i spend more time listening to live tracks than studio, studio tracks okay. and to, to, to listen to them to the chili peppers live playing some of those songs from stadium like adding live and watching the improvisation that prashante can do that genuinely blew my mind like having come from a, a base of like Metallica, who is a very good, uh, an amazing live band as well, I actually think the Chili Peppers are on a different level when it comes to live music. And particularly, I think that comes down to the connection that Frashante and Flea have together live. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's something they talk about, or Anthony Hitters talks about a lot in that book, is how well those two musicians got along, just musically. Yeah. They, it, it genuinely feels... Uh, uh, I, I'm reluctant to say this, but it genuinely feels like those two, and Chad to a lesser extent, they connect on a almost like a spiritual level when they're on stage. They just they can predict what the other's going to do. It's just unreal to watch. I'm, I'm so thankful to be able to go back and listen to recordings of theirs on YouTube and, and that kind of thing because it is very very awe inspiring. Have you been? Have you seen them live? I, I saw them live in 2019 last year when they came to Tasmania, but that was with the, obviously with the, Josh, the Josh Klinghoffer lineup. Yeah, to be frank, I, I didn't enjoy that album, that concert. It, um, it was a very different band to the one that I'd spent thousands of hours listening to on YouTube. I, I guess they're also, like, they must be coming up 60, most of them. Yeah. Like... You know, if I could go back and see one band live, it would be Rage Against the Machine in the early oh, 90s, just because they, of the they, energy. Yeah, have you heard they've also reunited? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, mate. They were, so, <laughs> slight tangent, but the worst thing about COVID is that both Rage Against the Machine and the Chili Peppers with Prashante were supposed to perform right now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they reunited to play together right now. Like, I think their first concert was like some festival in the US. Yeah. in May and the two were going to play on the same stage <laughs> yeah that would have been sick but that is a problem with this uh, COVID-19 stuff but because yeah. I personally I'm not a fan of live music and I'm, I don't even really enjoy concerts that often so because mm. I during this lockdown uh, I went through this very OCD phase of music because um, mm. working from home you can listen to whatever you want right yeah so between mid-April and I guess the end of June, I listened to 300 albums. Wow. Put them all in a spreadsheet because I'm a consultant this week. And what did you rank them? Uh, I just gave them a rating out of 10. Nice. Um, and then like the date I listened to it and stuff like that. Um, so there wasn't yeah. too much information, but it was just a way of keeping track of it. 
and there was only two live albums that I put in there. And it was uh, S&M, a Metallica one, and Fly My Pretties, which is quite a small New Zealand band. And I listened to it not realising it was a live album. It sounds <laughs> stupid, I know. And then I was like, oh, it was a good album and I enjoyed it, so I put it on there. But it was like a really small like club gig. Yeah. Acoustic guitars, yeah. that kind of stuff. It's a very different vibe to, especially S&M. But... <laughs> But yeah, so maybe this is a good opportunity to start talking about St. Anger then, if uh, yeah. we bring up Metallica. Yeah, sure. I, I sent you this album because, one, I'm a massive Metallica fan, and outside of maybe Reload, Death Magnetic, I would have sent you any of them. Um, but I, I thought St. Anger was my introduction to them. It's probably, oh, is it their most controversial album? That's a big call, actually. Um, uh, Lulu. I would say Lulu is more controversial. I haven't actually listened to Lulu. Have you heard about that? It's the yeah, Lulu. Lou Reed, right? It's arguable. It's debatable if it is in fact a Metallica album, but yeah. if, I think it's more controversial. <laughs> yeah, I mean the Black album is also certain, uh, very controversial. Load as yeah. well. I mean, I, I think that's that's probably one thing that I really love about Metallica is they don't they genuinely don't give a fuck about what people think. And I think the Chili Peppers are the same as well. Like I think successful bands it's that intersect between one not giving a fuck about who likes the album and two being able to produce what people actually like <laughs> it's that sort of character that rare that rare blend it's like a venn diagram where <laughs> it's an overlap that is when you strike gold and it's so infrequent that when it does happen it is incredible to listen to and then because saint anger is probably more on the side of like this is a music that Metallica wanted to make at the time rather yeah. than music that people were looking for at the time. And I'm not sure if I would like it if it wasn't my first Metallica album. I mean, the sound is very different. Like the, the drops, is it drop C or is it just standard C tuning? Like, I'm not sure. Yeah, it varies, but yeah, it's definitely lower. Than, and then like than, a sneer without the, whatever you want to call it. I don't know what it's called on optical like that, but the sneers, that sort of more steel drum sound. Yeah, the rubbish cans. Yeah, and particularly because it's, I mean, it's its a long album as well. More so than like, I, for me, it's like the angriest uh, and most mm-hmm. frantic album. Probably heaviest album. Like, I know Master of Puppets maybe has a heavier sound, but it feels more precise somehow. And whereas this one just feels like we've got some instruments together. You know, it, it feels like at some point Lars Ulrich could just get up and start punching them all out of frustration. <laughs> Well, I don't know if you've seen the documentary that they made surrounding the making of that, but uh, Lars Ulrich does get up and he screams in James Hetfield's face a number of times, so very close to punching the wall. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think they do a good job of capturing like, all that within this album. Yeah. Because like, it was a tough time for Metallica. You see that in the documentary. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, there's a few parallels from that period to perhaps where the band is today because as you as i'm sure you've heard james hetfield was back in rehab just like when saint anger was produced so when news of that first broke a lot of people were saying oh okay let's get ready for saint anger number two because <laughs> <laughs> that would have been close to 12 months ago that he went to rehab right well i can pretty much tell you the exact day because uh I was planning to jump on a plane and watch them live in Australia. Oh, from Mate, you've had some bad luck. <laughs> I have. You know, it's the curse of Metallica because 
I missed out. They cancelled the Australia-New Zealand tour, which was scheduled for September, October last year, I believe. And then about six months later, when I had relocated to Melbourne, there was a cover band, a Italian cover band, that was playing a show in Bendigo, which is a two-hour drive out of Melbourne. So I made the trip up and was lining up when the security guard came out and announced that uh, the concert was cancelled. <laughs> so I had to drive back, <laughs> sulking, thinking, what is going on? <laughs> so we do it for the love of Metallica. Yeah, true. But yeah, so what are your thoughts of Senang? Yeah. My, my experience with Metallica is quite unorthodox in that when I was in high school, I had a lot of friends who listened to Metallica. And I'd always hear them talking about it, and they were guitarists like I was, and it piqued my interest. So I asked, "Hey, I asked one of my friends, Jake, and I said, "Hey, Jake, what what would you recommend I start with?" And without hesitating, he said, "Master of Puppets, go listen to that album." So sure enough, I went home and listened to that, the first couple of tracks off that, and I just couldn't stand it. It was the most shocking thing. It was so shouty. Like I'd never heard such shouty music for just the vocals let alone the thrashy instrumental part i just i just couldn't digest that it was just too intense for me i didn't it was very different to what i'd heard it was too confronting too abrasive so i remember listening to battery and maybe a bit of the title track and then i turned it off and didn't touch metallica again for two or three years Not like my experience with studying my career <laughs> and then that must have been like 2004 2005 and then 2006, I remember I was sitting at home one night watching Australian TV, SBS, and uh, the documentary, Some Kind of Monster, which chronicles the making of St. Anger, was playing. And I just randomly was flipping through channels and came across that. I had never seen Metallica on tape before. I'd listened to a bit of them on um, that initial experience, but I'd never seen it before. And just seeing James Hetfield on the screen, I thought, wow, this guy's cool. Like, he's got tats and he dresses real different. And I was really interested by him. So I listened to that. And then once they kind of showed some clips of them recording what was going to be St. Anger, it was so catchy. It was so different to Master of Puppets. I remember they were showing Hetfield recording the vocals for the title track, Some Kind of Monster. And the riff that was playing in the background, I just, I was banging my head like unconsciously I was like oh my god this is so heavy and I, I'm sure you know the, the riff I'm talking about is a really slow um, simple repetitive crunchy riff almost reminiscent of ACDC that kind of vibe um, a lot dirtier and less refined than ACDC but very similar to that quality pretty much from that riff I was hooked and then I kept listening to that, that um, or kept watching that recording and there were more and more similarly heavy riffs being played. So I listened to that. I watched that entire documentary, didn't blink once. It was so interesting just to see that process, that creative process and see the tension in the band that I, um, I think the next day I went on YouTube and started looking up their, their live performances and that was kind of my gateway. St. Anger was my gateway drug into the world of, uh, hardcore Metallica psychosis, if you can call it that. And then I started discovering their back catalogue, and I think I got into the Black Album, which was a nice, uh, a lot more familiar, or shall I say, similar to my music taste at the time. 
being ACDC chili peppers, that kind of thing. It wasn't as abrasive as Master of Puppets. No, and I mean, so you're probably aware of Inter Sandman and stuff like that, right? Yeah, that's right. I'm sure I had heard Sandman before on the radio, but um, I hadn't heard other other tracks on the Black Album. So I got into the Black Album a fair bit, and I think I maybe got into a bit of load reload, and then only six months later I started getting into Kill 'Em All and the proper. Sorry, I shouldn't say proper. The <laughs> Uh, the classic Metallica Crash albums. To this day, I think if it wasn't for that Saint Anger exposure, I wouldn't get. I wouldn't have discovered their back catalogue and become such a, a big fan. So it's interesting. I Saint Anger's obviously got a really controversial reputation amongst Metallica fans, but I think a lot of fans don't appreciate the how many people. In, in a similar position to me, discover the back catalogue through St. Anger. Yeah, so I mean, I think, like you said, it's not the tra- traditional Metallica fan journey, is it? Because for me, it was on one of the trips back to the Netherlands, um, when I was, I must have been like nine or something like this, uh, my older cousin, he was listening to all this music, and I just thought my cousin was cool, so the music he's listening to must be cool. So he burned <laughs> me a CD, and I had quite a few Metallica songs on it, but they're all the S&M recordings. Ooh. And so I remember he had like one, probably Into Sandman, Sad But True, those kind of songs on there. It was also mixed yeah. with all the a few Red Hot Chili Peppers songs now I think about it. I would always listen to the CD and I just, I love the songs on it. Um, not really understanding what was happening or who the band was even or anything like that. And then one of my dad's friends came around and I had the CD on and he was a big Metallica fan. And so this must have been it must have been 2003 and then he he's like oh you like Metallica and I was like yeah sure I like Metallica why not and he bought me St. Anger for my birthday and so I had it yeah from then and because my dad hates Metallica ACDC Guns N' Roses all that kind of music right. um, so I sort of had to listen to it in secret a little bit as well my <laughs> mum had no problem she liked this and so we made like because I had the CD we would make like cassette recordings of it so we could listen to it in the car it's a good thing about growing up in the early 2000s i guess right (laughs) (laughs) that's right and then i guess like listening to metallica is like you know 10 well 11 year old however old i was i didn't really understand what was happening musically all i understood Mm. was that this is the loudest angriest thing i've ever heard in my life Um, and because you're that age particularly like it was a big album still when i was 13 or 14 for me you have all these feelings and emotions just pinging around you and you have no idea what's going on. But if you listen to this one album, it'll be like, oh, some of this makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I, I can definitely relate to that. I think I certainly hadn't connected to music to that level before I discovered Metallica. Before Metallica, it was kind of whatever was popular on the radio, which I enjoyed, but I didn't really get into or didn't... Um, didn't relate to it to that sort of level it's it's hard for me to describe but yeah like you say it kind of connects with you and it allows you to get your emotions out whenever i'd feel upset or even wanting to exercise i'd listen to metallica to pump me up or i'd often feel very calm after i've listened to it and i've, I've read a couple of um studies not sure how valid they are but they suggest that metal listeners are generally more calm than non-metal listeners and perhaps it's because the aggressive style of music 
helps us get our emotions out. <laughs> Certainly not the stereotype, but I can see it. I mean, I, yeah. I haven't met many middleheads who are like, you know, just angry, angry people. So that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, but um, to the, to your point, I think the music it's um, it's Saint Anger in particular. It's very raw. It's very unpolished. My my biggest, I feel like Saint Anger would be a very very good album if it wasn't a Metallica album. I think its biggest shortcoming is that it is it is subject to the brand and the reputation that is Metallica. I think that's why it it suffered so much is that it had that weight of Metallica's success and that sort of expectation that. Metallica listeners had of it, and it was that sort of dissonance between what people expected out of a Metallica album and what they got, which created the upstorm. Yeah, I, I agree with you, but for me, like, I find it hard to understand why people. I can understand that people don't want to listen to it. Sure, if you're a Metallica fan, but what I don't understand is people saying like, "Oh, it's not Metallica," with this kind of stuff. Because I understand mm. that you know you have the first four albums, which everyone thinks of as classic Metallica the Black Album divides people to put it politely but it you know like it's still certainly a Metallica album and stuff like that it's still heavy and it's still fast or at least in places and then mm. Load and Reload are very different like they're more hard rock yeah. albums than yeah. metal albums but then so if you're a Metallica fan who just wants heavy music fast music then St. Anger is very much both of those things that's true but yeah i guess yeah the, the sound is very different from those classic metallica albums if it's yeah like i say if you want heavy fast and angry music i don't think you can go past singing yeah you're right and i i almost gravitate more towards saint anger if i'm looking for that kind of music than master of puppets or uh, or light of lightning it's just so much more um pure i think and that could just be because I've listened to the live lightnings and Master of Puppets so long, so so often that it's a bit um, desensitised to me. But I agree. I think the rawness and the the, the unfiltered characteristic of Saint Anger is as heavy and as as raw as it comes in terms of Metallica. I, I genuinely think the reaction largely was due to that. A different sound like you say it's the snare that wasn't but it was different it was the production quality that was different it was the lack of solos i think if i'm very curious if those things were similar to what other Metallica albums sounded like i don't think the response would have been so so negative it's one of these things we it will be debated about for a long time right <laughs> yeah um, yeah and i think it'll it's very likely to become a classic in its own right with time and i think that's starting to happen anyway because uh they the band themselves didn't play any saint anger tracks live for a good i mean when i say never very very rarely would they would play tracks from the album for a good 10 years kind of between 2006 to 2016 uh, I followed their live stuff quite closely and they rarely ever played something of tracks. And then in the latest tour, sort of 2018, 2019, they started playing St. Anger quite consistently, the, the song, and then Frantic as well. And the crowd seemed to really enjoy it. 
So I think with time, <laughs> that uh, controversy has died down. I think it all, it, it might get a kind of cult following in coming years. There is one thing I want to touch upon with Metallica that you brought up uh, when we were talking about the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and that's the, the lyrics. Um, yeah. And for me, like one of the reasons why I go back to St. Anger so often is the lyrics. You know, like I think they're very different from Master of Puppets, Ride the Lightning, Injustice for All as well. Whereas those albums are very much, I don't know, well, they're less about people, I think, or less about like feelings and stuff like that. Whereas like yeah. St. Anger, I mean, it's in the title as well, I guess. If you, you're feeling angry or shit or feeling something, you'll find it in St. Anger. Yeah, I think the same is true with Master of Puppets. That's, that's a very good point. One that I hadn't really thought about until you just mentioned it. I think the classic Metallica albums, pretty much, I think everything up until St. Anger was outward looking from the lyrics point of view. It was narrating or it was commentating the world around Metallica. But then St. Anger, having known the context, obviously, that Headfield and the band were going through some very, very tough times. The lyrics naturally, as you'd expect, turned inwards. It became about the feelings that the band itself was experiencing rather than what was going on in the world. <laughs> I mean, look at And Justice for All. It was essentially a political commentary of the day. There is no political commentary in St. Anger. <laughs> no. I mean, Injustice for All still holds up in political commentary for today. <laughs> but 100%. it's a, you know, yeah, St. Anger is, yeah. I, 100% agree like it's more inward looking it's more like, I think that well I, I find that easier to identify with uh, personally but because I think Load has I, I don't know Reload very well but I think Load has some songs that are lyrically similar particularly like Outlaw Torn I'm thinking of true. yeah, yeah it's very true maybe Lady Outlaw Torn and Mama Said are all very inward looking so yeah you're, you're right maybe post Black Album I think it changed with the magnetic kind of went back to that that commentary aspect, that outward looking focus. But um, yeah, in that middle period, definitely load, reload, same end And I just, I, I find a lot of the critique, I don't want to focus too much on the critique of Metallica because it, it feels like we're defending the band. Well, there's a lot of good things to talk about separate to that. But I think a lot of the critique is, um, fails to, appreciate that this band and the members within that band they're humans and they go through different life stages i just reflect back even on the last two years of my life i've gone through so many different periods of my life where i've been sad i've been happy i've been excited i've been angry to extend that over 40 years and to attach music or like attach the creation of music to that it's only natural that there's going to be huge variation in the output of music, whether it's the, in the aggression of it, in the musicianship, in the quality or the technical showmanship of it. I think that the output, the music, is a reflection of band members' life experiences, their emotions, with any band, not just Metallica. And I think that's why there's such a big variance. I think in a, in a pure band like Metallica and Chili Peppers, where they're not... They don't give a fuck about how the music sounds. They're not trying to fit a certain cookie-cutter style of music. You're always going to get that variation, and that's the, the best kind of music, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Stuff that's honest, right? 
it's it's honest. That's a good way of summing it up. Yeah, it's, it's honest music that doesn't try and fit a, a mold that's determined by a record producer or anyone else, really. We're approaching forty-five minutes here, so I think it might be a good time to just sum it up. But um, are there any albums or an album you want to recommend to people or to me? Any albums that I want to recommend. Uh, I'll give you some time to think, so I'll go. Um, yeah. <laughs> the album I want to recommend is Black Sabbath Paranoid. Oh, uh, I love that album. For me, it was my album, the album that got me into Black Sabbath, just metal more in general. And like it was one of the first albums I was listening to when I started playing guitar, so there's a lot of influences from that. I, th- I think it's just a good, a good album to like, explore metal, given that it's arguably the first metal album as well. Inspired by your um, your selection, I want to pick a similarly themed one. It's what got me into Black Sabbath, which is another one of my favorite bands, uh, of course. But it's a, a later album. It's one called The Devil You Know. It's actually not a Black Sabbath album. It is by a band called Heaven and Hell, which uh, when you look at who Heaven and Hell is, it is the Black Sabbath lineup that had Ronnie James Dio in it. I haven't listened to that album. I'm much less familiar with the Ronnie James Dio stuff. Yeah, yeah. I I would say that I'm less familiar with the Dio stuff as well. But uh, that particular album was released in '07, and that was from my my introduction to Black Sabbath. I kind of heard bits and pieces here and there, but I really loved this particular album. Basically, they had to call it. They couldn't call it a Black Sabbath album because Ozzy Osbourne sued the band and they tried to release it under the Black Sabbath brand. So they went with Heaven and Hell to reflect the Heaven and Hell album that was in fact a Black Sabbath album recorded with Dio. But uh, yeah, I think when I first heard this album, it was fucking heavy as shit. Like it is classic, um, classic Iomi with magic, but I'd never heard a vocalist like Dio until I heard that album. He is probably one of the, the better technical vocalists I've experienced in metal at least. So yeah, that's one of my favorite tracks that I would recommend anyone who's perhaps into metal or Black Sabbath that hasn't heard the the later material produced by the band and, and Dio. Give that one a spin. It's uh, very, very good. And there's a supporting uh, live album and the YouTube clip where they perform one of those songs live. Check those out. Yeah, I'll definitely give that a listen to uh, myself, having not listened to them. All right, well, it's great having you on the podcast. Always love talking about Metallica and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So, yeah, thanks for, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me, James. It's been a pleasure.